Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. There's a fire on the mountain burning out of control. The sky is set blazing all its red and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around. Before we run aground, we gotta turn this ship around. Before we run aground. Welcome to Off the Record. With Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com for your binge listening pleasure and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches calling 224-9111. And I'm joined by that sports crazy guy. Chris Ryan, here we are. And speaking of sports, this is Saudi Arabia Radio on Off the Record with Paul Hodes. Oh, I'm very happy to be here with you, Paul Hodes. And off the record, this is Prince Mohammed Salam, Mohammed Alam Abdullah Abdullah. How are you today, Paul? Well, I'm I'm very good, Prince, but there seems to be some trouble in Turkey. There is no problem with Turkey. We do not eat turkey in Saudi Arabia. And if I am not mistaken, you and your kind in United States of America eat turkey coming up in fallish weather for the Turkey Day, Thanksgiving, we are giving thanks because we do not eat turkey, but we are occasionally in Turkey. Well, well, Prince, there's a little bit of a controversy going on at the moment. This week was a big week in Saudi American American relations because Donald Trump, your president, is a great, great man. Your president is making America great again. We are so happy for him. He likes oil. We like oil. He likes gold. We like gold. He likes fancy. We like fancy. <laughs> Have you seen my palace? Because I had him to my palace. He came. He said, it's pretty good, but not as good as my penthouse in Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue in New York City. I said, I will come and visit in my private jet. As you know, in Saudi Arabia, we have many, many, many private jets. Recently, two of them went to Turkey and came back. Nothing happened, of course. They were on pleasure trip to, to Turkey. They happened to send 16 assassins there. But we, we do not know what they did there. We can only guess. We are only guessing. Wait, wait. I, I didn't raise this at all. I I have not raised in my show the fact that apparently the Turkish authorities have audio recordings of the tour 
torture and killing of a journalist inside the Saudi consulate in Turkey. You do not know anything about anything. You are a stupid media person from United States. You are you are dumb dumb. Okay, dumb dumb. And besides, you do not have a single gold toilet in your entire house. I bet that's you, not true. You, you, uh, not a single gold toilet. And I judge a person by numbers of gold toilets. The gold urinals count. No, these are not counting at all, Chris Ryan. You do not know what you're speaking about. There, nothing happened in Turkey. You have no proof that this journalist did not come out. Uh, perhaps he went through the basement, came out through a window in the basement, and you simply did not know. But we deny, deny, deny. This may sound familiar to you because deny, 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 and lie is the way of United States authorities and administrators which is only one reason why we are so happy with your President Trump, who correctly pointed out that if we do not buy billions and billions and billions of dollars of fighter jets, bombs, bullets, uh, tear gas, uh, uh, aircraft carriers, uh, battleships, and all these weapons from the United States, we will simply go to our friends in China and Russia and buy them. So you have no leverage over us. Well, Prince, thank you for joining us. We'll we'll take your denials back to the White House and we'll see what President Trump says in light of the evidence and the denials. Thank you very much, Mr. Paul Hodes. Now you go away and I never want to hear from you again. Well, Franklin? How do you get these people on the show? Is it like a Skype thing? They sound like they're just here in studio. I know. That's the miracle of modern technology, yeah. that they actually sound so good. Yeah, they sound uh, present. No phone call? They, or... No phone call, no nothing. I, I have special powers. That's why, because I am the host of Off the Record. My special powers bring in these guests that nobody's able to get, because no. this, in fact, Nobody. was the first interview on United States Radio with Prince Muhammad. Abdullah, 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 Ben Salam, Abdullah, Mohammed. And I, we got it, Chris, got it. here on Off the Record with Paul Hodes. Maybe he was comfortable because he was off the record. Of course, Donald Trump this week in the White House held court with Kanye West while uh, you could watch split screen images of the devastation, death and destruction caused by Hurricane Michael. It was quite an interesting juxtaposition. And of course, at the same time that the hurricane was ravaging our coast and the president was meeting with Kanye West, the uh, Saudi Arabian assassin squad was uh, cutting up uh, this uh, journalist um, and the president's reaction was, well, they buy $110 billion worth of, of, of weapons from us. If we don't sell them the weapons, they'll buy them from, Tur- from Russia and China, and we can't have that. Weapons trump human rights every time in the Trump White House. I mean, there's, it's, it, you know, it's like playing bridge. You know, what are you going to bet on? Me? If I'm Donald Trump, I bet on weapons. Weapons! I mean, murder is one thing, but it's just one guy after all. Well, I mean, that's, this has pretty much been the American position in regards to Saudi Arabia for a very long time. At least Donald Trump is honest in describing what that position was as opposed to where his predecessors were at. 
Uh, listen, the the Saudi Arabian American relationship has been an interesting one for a long time. After all, I mean, a lot of people would say that we went to war in the Middle East over oil, and we've been involved over there for ever and ever because of oil. I mean, oil has been the the driving force. But these days, now that we're fracking, we're fricking and fracking the oil on uh, from from deep underground with who knows what kinds of consequences. I mean, are we really depending? any more on the Saudi-American relationship? Does that really serve us in good stead? And is the outrageous murder, which according to intelligence reports, we have picked up that it was thought about and considered and planned in advance, that the evidence seems to be that the Saudis sent uh, two private plane loads filled with assassins. They arrived at the place in limousines bearing suitcases and boxes. The journalist went in. The Turkish authorities say they have audio tapes of his torture, um, and apparently the theory is that the squad... uh, took him out in pieces, so nobody's ever going to find him. There won't be any other evidence. Is that enough to damage a long-standing and healthy relationship? Do we need them anymore? I think that, again, um, money has uh, ruled this relationship for a very long period of time. We've looked, is this something that um, will be you know, the end of us looking past various Saudi atrocities and connections to things like 9-11? Um, or is this going to, um, you know, be business as usual? It may not be oil. It may be uh, defense contracts at this point. Um, but there's a small, also heavy amounts of Saudi uh, investments and dollars in the United States real estate economy. Uh, there's there's always been a very strong financial connection which has existed between the United States and Saudi Arabia that has not existed with other Middle Eastern countries, um, which has allowed for us to look the other way based upon commerce. Um, and so the president, in my view, is being pretty honest there about um, our relationship with Saudi Arabia. If that were, you know, Syria that had done that, um, I think that the consequences would be different. I love Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia very, very strongly, very, very strongly supports me. They support me. They think I'm great. They think I'm making America great. They think they think I'm wonderful. Very, very strong supporters. I love Saudi Arabia. I love their money, frankly. I sell them real estate. They buy my real estate. They very strongly support my real estate. They like gold. I like gold. They have have gold toilets. I have gold toilets. This is a very, very important relationship. I'm strongly behind them. I can't believe they're such nice people that they would do the things that people are saying they did. Of course, if they did, then we have to take another look. But if they didn't, well, then we won't take another look. And how can we tell anyway? And by the way, I really like selling things to them. I like to sell them. I mean, they buy gold toilets from us. They don't make Make their own. We ship them over there. We do $110 billion a year in gold toilets. This is a very, very important thing. And in all my buildings, I like to have their investment. So when you talk about commerce and trade, I very, very strongly support you, Chris Ryan, because I think money is the most important thing. 
And it has been for a very long time. And uh, we have looked past, uh, again, Saudi atrocities and um, connections that have existed for a long period of time that you, we don't you claim that other. You claim that the Saudi Arabians had something to do with 9-11 just because bin Laden and most of the people <laughs> exactly the who took over the, tra- <laughs> the planes were from Saudi Arabia just because they... Paid a lot of money and set up all the schools and madrasas where all the radicals were 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 trained. You think they had something to do with Saudi Arabia? Why do you think we looked the other way? Why do you think we let them fly out of here uh, right that's after nine eleven? That's where they yeah, went. Just they, they went to Saudi Arabia. That's right. They went to Saudi Arabia. Of course, that that doesn't prove anything. That doesn't prove anything. If you even believe that nine eleven happened, and many people don't even believe it happened. Many people I respect. Like like many people who've appeared on Fox News don't even think that 9-11 happened. And the Saudis certainly don't think 9-11 happened. And I'm not going to ask them about it. Frankly, I want to make Saudi America, Saudi uh, America great again. <laughs> there you have it. That's my new slogan. Make Saudi America great again and, and look so the Donald, other way. Donald, Donald, and by the way, th- by the way I want to talk yeah, to Kanye sure. some more. Yeah, I want to ask you about Kanye. Yeah, what about right. Kanye? Kanye's a good friend. So would you, he very strongly supports me. Stro- he wears the red hat. I, I got to say that. So, so how strongly would you consider dumping Mike Pence from the ticket in 2020 and putting Kanye... On the ticket, I he's th- going to run in twenty twenty four. It's the perfect transition. Make him your VP. I think Kanye West would be a great, very strong, very bigly candidate. I think I think he he understands popular culture in a way that only I, only me, only myself, only yours truly really understands culture. Me and Kanye together. Can you imagine arm in arm, round and round, going to some of those deep crime-ridden neighborhoods in places like Chicago, which, by the way, has a Democratic mayor, and that's why they have so much crime. But imagine that Kanye West and I would go wearing our gold rings, strutting side-by-side down the street together. America would never see anything like that ever again. It would be the greatest. It would be the bigliest. It would be the strongliest. It would be the most impressive thing ever. So, Donald, uh, Melania Trump, are you familiar with her? I, I, I occasionally see somebody answering that description around the White House, but I don't know who it is. I think I might have married her at one point. She was on uh, Good Morning America. Uh, Democratic uh, show. Dem- I didn't never watch <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, she was on Good Morning America, and she referred to herself as perhaps the most bullied person in America. What do you think of that? I, I don't think that's true. I, I, I think that if she has problems with that, she ought to bring it up maybe with her husband. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Maybe she shouldn't bring it up with her husband. I don't, I've not seen any evidence that she's been bullied. Melania, Melania. No, she's not. No, Melania. No, she's in, she's sit overseas. Down, Melania. She's not. Sit down. Don, she's not. She's overseas. What do you mean overseas? She's, she's not. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Why didn't John Kelly tell me she was overseas? I didn't allow her to go. She only does what I tell her. She also says she distrusts many people in the West Wing of the White House. Wait. Do you work in the West Wing? Uh, West Wing, East Wing. I'm not very good at directions. That's why I have my people. But but wait, I've got to go. I've got a call from 
Prince Mohammed Salam Ben Salami Ben Muhammad Allah uh, Abdullah and he's calling me about Turkey. He doesn't like Turkey anymore and I'm having my own problems. So I'm going to go now. Goodbye. I'll, I'll reappear on Off the Record as long as it's Off the Record. Well, folks, that was this week's report from we've had visits from Saudi Arabia. Now the president himself, Chris Ryan, was here to help me. It's Paul Hodes on Off the Record on WKXLAM and FM streamed live over the Internet, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour, celebrate life with the Birches, Call 224-9111, and remember, we're archived at nhtalkradio.com for your binge-listening pleasure, all accents, all the time, none of them politically correct. It's Paul Hodes. Now, don't go away. We're going to be back to talk about the financial picture and what's going on in Washington here in the United States of America. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com for your binge listening pleasure and brought to you by The Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life with The Birches, call 224-9111. Well, I'm very pleased to be joined by our guy in Washington, Jason Rosenstock of Thorn Run Partners, an expert in financial matters, a Congress watcher and participant in the circus that these days seems to be the government of the United States. Jason, welcome back to Off the Record. Great to be here, Paul. So what's the weather like in Washington, D.C.? Did you guys get pounded by the hurricane? That's the first important question. Uh, we had a pretty bad rainstorm last night, uh, and I, I don't. It may have impacted the flights of of the senators who uh, who finally were able to wrap up their business uh, and and jettison town um, and get back to to those who are up for election or re-election to the campaign trail. So you're not going to see uh, all those senators and members of Congress for a while. They're they're out of town, and they're uh, some of them are fighting for their political lives. Some of them are safe. Um, but it was an interesting financial week in the United States. While the hurricane pounded us, uh, the stock market uh, had a correction, as the president called it, but a correction of uh, at least 1,300 points so far on the Dow <clears throat> and all the other indexes down, all the world indexes falling. Um, and, you know, I was reading some headlines and saw that while uh, we were all concerned about the Brett Kavanaugh nomination event, which seemed to go on and on and on, there were some interesting doings uh, on the fiscal side, on the financial side, uh, down in Washington, D.C. What's been going on? Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's sort of interesting. The president has very much made um, the stock market uh, an equivalency for the health of the economy in general and have claimed uh, 
ownership of the rising uh, the rising stock market uh, for his uh, to his benefit, I guess, uh, for the you know for the really since uh, since the campaign uh, since he's been president, and so I think um, you know obviously if that market was to to have the blip that it had over the last week or so, you know, I think uh, it may reflect poorly on him. I, you know, uh, I think in general, it's probably not wise to view the stock market uh, as a uh, metaphor for the economy as a whole. I think, you know, most people uh, would say that the, the, there's a great and growing disparity of wealth in this country uh, with very few who are, are, are doing very, very well. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the most Americans couldn't uh, scrape together four hundred dollars uh, if they needed to write an emergency check, uh, you know, today, which I think is, is troubling. And then you have a, a looming retirement crisis coming, which uh, you know people are starting to to awaken to. So only uh, only fact- only one in three Americans has more than I forget the number. It's like five thousand dollars. Only one in three Americans. Um, uh, you know, can really afford to uh, retire. There's some crazy statistic like that. People are really worried about their retirement, especially those on fixed income and Social Security, which announced a 2.6 or 2.8 percent bump uh, to keep up with inflation. Um, but it seems to be that inflation is getting ahead of the ability of most people in this country to live on their fixed incomes. Right. And, and so, you know, you had this, this, this stock market bump, which the president, uh, or the blip, which the president, you know, made some comments about um, uh, the Federal Reserve Chair Powell and his frustration with the rising interest rates. Uh, you know, we have an independent Federal Reserve Board and a Federal Reserve Chair, which is designed to, uh, you know, make sure that the, in addition to the monetary policy, sort of the general health of the economy and keep inflation in check, which is relevant to those people on fixed income that you mentioned. And, uh, you know, the president, uh, as we saw uh, multiple times this week, uh, is, is tends to, you know, fluctuate within his own sentences on multiple issues. And so while on one hand he was expressing uh, earlier in the week, his frustration with uh, Chairman Powell, uh, by the end of the week, he was saying his job is safe. And I don't really know that he could fire him anyway. He's got a 12-year term. But uh, it was certainly a, a bumpy ride uh, for stocks. They seem to uh, uh, have taken a, a turn positive for the day. But, you know, um, uh, that's the, the market, right? Every uh, There's no uh, guarantee of, uh, of success. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think back to uh, the role of the Federal Reserve in the great collapse of 2007-8, um, the role that the Federal Reserve played in uh, propping up the banks um, when I was in Congress and the economy collapsed due to what was essentially a a, a scandalous uh, and and. Uh, and at least negligent approach to uh, bundling uh, bad mortgages into bad instruments of debt, which the uh, big banks had simply traded back and forth with each other and ended up with a pile of cotton candy that none of which none of which was real. And when the whole house of cards came apart, and not only 
the U.S. Treasury, but the Federal Reserve was left um, trying to pick up the pieces. And in addition to all the the bank bailout money that came through the Treasury, the Federal Reserve uh, had to take uh, remarkable uh, and extraordinary actions that most of which went unseen by the public at large to keep um, to keep the banks and the financial system afloat, and in the wake of the collapse, um, set you know, interest rates basically uh, down as to zero or close to zero as they possibly could to prop up a struggling economy. And over the time since then, primarily under the Obama administration, and I'm not even going to bother arguing about whether uh, any good economic news is from Obama or Trump. I mean, Trump inherited uh, an economy that was uh, had been slowly recovering, frankly, uh, and we can debate what the word recovering about or recovery is about, but had been slowly gaining health since 2008, thanks to Obama administration policies. And as the economy strengthens, uh, the Federal Reserve uh, uh, will ra- raise and has raised interest rates, uh, a tick here, a tick there, a tick at a time, but clearly a tick too much for uh, the White House, which um, is happy to find anybody to blame for everything. So that seems to be the president's way. If I can pin something that's a problem on somebody. So if the stock market uh, falls, uh, even though it's been essentially a bull market for Almost 10 years. I mean, at least eight years of a bull market. Um, and and there's a correction. Well, let's blame the, Fed- the Federal Reserve. I'm wondering to what extent you and folks, uh, smart folks who follow the economy and financial news and financial affairs, um, uh, feel that the uh, deficit tax bill, uh, which has blown up the deficit, uh, the Republican tax tax package has now blown up the deficit. I'm wondering whether any of those concerns are weighing on the markets and weighing on the minds of people who follow uh, the financial world. Well, I think there's certainly a a segment of Washington that is very concerned with with the looming deficit. It's um, not to sound too partisan, but, you know, historically it had been uh, Republicans who had uh, sounded the alarm and they seem, generally speaking, to be mostly quiet now that it's their administration and their and their bill. I think those chickens will come home to roost. I haven't gotten a sense that um, that there's an impact um, that the you know uh, market has uh, is there these the stock market correction of those things are coming because of it. I think you know sort of quite the opposite. I mean, I think the tax bill that the Republicans jammed through Congress last year, I think is in, is in large part, driving um, a lot of the of the market benefits. Uh, I think companies, um, you know, obviously have, have are paying less taxes. I think there's a philosophical question about whether that's appropriate and, and what the appropriate level of taxation is to pay for the services that they utilize um, to, to bring their products to market, etc. But um, it, it really speaks, I think, to the um, political malpractice that the president has uh, caused the Republican Party. I mean, if you look at it objectively, sure, you know, historically, all but in two years, the 
the party of the president loses seats in a midterm election. Um, but here you have a situation where the, you know, by many metrics, the economy is doing very well, as we, as we talked about the, with the market. Um, and, and unemployment numbers are at historic lows. Um, and yet it looks like the president uh, is um, heading towards potentially losing, you know, the Republicans are losing the House of Representatives or certainly going to lose um, a lot of seats, whether they, whether they ultimately, the Democrats pick up enough to take the gavels back, I think is an open question. Um, and the Senate up until uh, the last two weeks looked like it might slip as well. I think that has changed, although uh, largely due to an interesting bifurcation of the Kavanaugh effect. Hmm. Um, how, do you, uh, how, so, do you, how do you see that happening? Um, what do you mean by the bifurcation of the Kavanaugh effect? So the, the sort of the general conventional wisdom is that the, 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 the nomination process of Kavanaugh really um, uh, drove uh, a lot of suburban, college-educated women um, further to support Democrats, while at the same time, um, in, in, in sort of rural areas, uh, it had the opposite effect, uh, and that women uh, actually support, we went to the Republican Party. So you have these, you know, six or so Senate races that are going to decide the control. Um, most of them are taking place in fairly red states where the president won, North Dakota, Montana, Missouri, Indiana, West Virginia, and then you also have uh, Florida. Um, and in those states, uh, with the exception of Florida, really, there's no um, attendant congressional races that are really in play. Uh, if you look at the map of where Congress, uh, where the congressional races are in play, you know, they tend to be in California and in New York and Illinois, uh, to a lesser degree, Michigan, North Carolina. Florida's sort of the only exception. There's about six seats that are really contested in Florida, although it's such a big state that um, that, that may not impact it in it much. But so where you had uh, in the House, you had a, a lesser effect of the, the impact of Kavanaugh in some of the more marginal races. Um, in the Senate, it, it clearly, um, you know, helped to drive uh, back Republicans. I think it gave them something to vote for. I don't know that Republicans were that energized going into the election. And the Kavanaugh hearing really seems to have energized the Republican base, at least right now. I mean, we're still, you know, four weeks, 20, 20 some odd days out until the election. So, you know, some other thing could um, uh, come up that may cause them to go home. But for the moment, there's a, uh, at least a short term bump that Republicans benefited from uh, Kavanaugh. We're talking with Jason Rosenstock of Thorn Run Partners in Washington, D.C., about the goings-on from his seat in the seat of power down there. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. Folks, don't go away. We'll be back with more Off the Record after this.
We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the Internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can find our shows archived for your binge-listening pleasure. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. We're talking with Jason Rosenstock, our guy in Washington. Jason's with Thorn Run Partners. He specializes in financial matters down in Washington, D.C. We've been talking about the stock market and what may have driven it to uh, have a correction this week. We've been talking a little bit about the midterm elections. Jason, turn turn your attention, if you will, to some of the recent doings at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. My listeners may know and may remember that the CFPB was one of the results of the um, rescue of our economy during the uh, and after the 2008 collapse. It came in with Dodd-Frank uh, setting up for the first time a financial matters protection bureau for American taxpayers. Uh, it was set up under Democrats and now uh, under President Trump. Uh, it's got a new director, and if I'm following the news correctly, uh, not all is uh, rosy for American consumers with what's been going on. Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly true. I mean, the uh, uh, Trump administration um, has made it pretty clear that they, uh, and, and I think lots of people had... Um, had joined in this sort of, I guess that you'd say some industry folks in their opposition to the Bureau under former director Richard Cordray. Um, so when he announced his uh, resignation to go run for governor of uh, Ohio, uh, the president appointed uh, temporarily uh, Mick Mulvaney, who was at this time also the director of uh, Office of Management and Budget, which we in Washington refer to as OMB. Um, and so under this sort of obscure uh, federal law called the Vacancies Act, uh, Mulvaney was able to be uh, part-time head of the, the CFPB. Uh, one of the first things he did in what many uh, supporters of the Bureau considered an Orwellian change was he actually changed the name from CFPB to, I think it's BCFP, Bureau of Financial Consumer Protection, um, which results in this weird... Uh, schism among some Democrats and Republicans as they each refer to it sort of, uh, they pick the nomenclature that they, they, they prefer. Um, it's sort of a, made the name a little bit of a partisan issue. Um, but I think more frustratingly for supporters of the Bureau, uh, uh, Director Mulvaney has, I think, sort of taken a um, agenda of, um, uh, uh, how should I put this, sort of, um, benign neglect. So whereas the Bureau was very aggressive in, in um, uh, finding uh, uh, actors that they thought were uh, predatory or uh, trying to return uh, ill-gotten gains to the public, uh, the Bureau has, has stepped away uh, to some extent from that. They are, to be clear, still doing enforcement actions. They've had a few uh, this past year. Um, 
but in terms of a rulemaking agenda, in terms of a uh, progressive outlook that had been in place under Director Cordray, there certainly has been a, a change. Um, a Republic, the president nominated a full-time um, a director uh, to replace uh, Mulvaney or to, to assume the role, a woman named uh, Craninger, Kathy Craninger, um, who has been approved by the Senate Banking Committee but awaits final confirmation uh, in the Senate. Uh, it's unclear whether she will be confirmed uh, by the end of the year. And if not, then Mulvaney will be able to stay uh, as the acting director until another um, uh, person is confirmed. And it's also unclear whether the president would renominate her uh, in 2019 if her nomination was not uh, advanced uh, by the Senate. So we can expect, one way or the other, um, continued uh, pressure, so to speak, uh, uh, on the agency from within, from the head of the agency, uh, which is generally um, the head, uh, at least Mulvaney, has not, just not been friendly to maintaining a strong pro-consumer uh, approach on the Consumer Financial Protection uh, Protection Agency. Um, what about some other uh, news in the financial sector? What's been going on? Well, all the headlines have been about Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, what else has been going on in the uh, in the world in your world uh, in the House and the Senate? Well, the House is it's actually been fairly quiet. Uh, you know, I think most people are looking uh, at the election. Certainly in the House, they you know Congress this year uh, to their credit did something they haven't done in in, in a while, which was that they. They actually passed the spending bills that they needed to pass, uh, the majority of them, uh, before the end of the fiscal year. Uh, in, in past years, there, there have been these continuing resolutions that have been then pushed into around Christmas time uh, or even sometimes afterwards to, to deal with. Um, there are five five uh, bills that were not uh, able to get done by September 30th, which were um, lumped together into a CR. It includes the Department of Homeland Security. Um, which uh, will be where the border wall funding fight will be uh, when when folks come back to town in uh, after the election, which um, could be a, a major issue. And um, uh, so there's that. And then also the financial services uh, spending bill, which funds the Bureau and Treasury and others, that was also wrapped up. Um, there were a lot of uh, uh, what we call riders or policy provisions, including that bill in the House version, um, the financial services chairman is Jeb Hemsling. He is retiring from Congress at the end of the term, and I think he is working very hard to try to get a few uh, major changes um, uh, into law before before his term expires. Uh, there's also this thing called the Jobs Act 3.0, which is a series of bills uh, that have been lumped together that help um, uh, with capital formation and try to reduce some of the regulatory burdens on capital formation. The bill. Uh, interestingly, passed the House of Representatives on a, on a pretty broad bipartisan vote. I think almost 400 people voted for it. Uh, ranking members Waters signed off on, on the deal, um, but it, it seems to be held up in the Senate, and uh, it is unclear whether there will be enough uh, time to deal with it before uh, the year expires. Hmm. And what about um, any any exciting stuff happening in the Senate? Or they all everybody's all anybody's been doing is thinking about Kavanaugh. 
So Kavanaugh really consumed a lot of the oxygen. The Senate had a pretty interesting hearing. Uh, actually, had a couple of interesting hearings. Uh, the Banking Committee had a hearing yesterday on blockchain, which um, uh, you know your listeners may know as, uh, as the sort of the foundation of the cryptocurrency, like um, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin, right, or Ethereum. Um, that you know is sort of one of the novel areas of fintech that's really um, advanced. Uh, quickly and is is getting a lot of attention. Um, the the hearing showed both sides of the equation. I thought it was actually a pretty fair hearing in a lot of ways. Um, with one of the witnesses basically saying that it's the biggest scam ever, and the other witness, um, you know, explaining the various uh, actual legitimate roles that the technology could have. Uh, the banking committee also heard recently from uh, some of the regulators that the uh, various financial services regulators, FDIC, uh, the uh, OCC, um, and uh, uh, about the implementation of the big bank uh, deregulatory bill that they passed uh, last summer and sort of how they're moving along on that. Um, it is uh, classically boring government, um, which is, uh, you know, I think how things should be and not necessarily the spectacle that we saw earlier this week with the president and um, Kanye West in the uh, Oval Office. But those 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 boring parts of the government, at least uh, as far as my experience went, those boring parts of the government often are the parts of government that can have some of the biggest impacts on the people of the nation, because it's those it's those quiet things that happen uh, after after a bill is passed and the regulators get to work trying to fill out all the spaces that have been left in a bill. Because, it, you know, a lot of uh, my listeners may think that when uh, a bill is passed and signed into law, it's got all these very, very specific requirements, and bingo, it goes into law and things happen. But what what really happens is when uh, a lot of the bills that, that, that pass, and I'm thinking, for example, of uh, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, uh, when when a bill is passed, it it is passed on to the reg- it's passed on to the agencies, um, and then the regulators to to flesh out all the details. And certainly, when it comes to important financial matters such as rolling back the regulations that were put in place to protect the American people uh, in the event of catastrophic financial events, when we're rolling those back. The details of how that rollout is going to happen and keeping them consistent with the intent of Congress as expressed in the bill falls outside the purview of the members themselves, uh, but to the agencies impacted. And then there are there are rules that are made and then there are hearings on those rules. So it takes a long time before uh, legislation often can be implemented. What were some of the major provisions of that uh, financial uh, institution regulation rollback that are going to come to bear upon uh, the matters that we're interested in as the as things go on? That's a really good question. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of the attention uh, was focused on uh, this change to the Volcker rule, which allows uh, or rather, so the rule prohibits banks from using um, depo- their own deposits to invest in um, what, what is known as proprietary trading or trading on behalf of the bank, so effectively taking a, a, 
tax-subsidized investment and then using it for their own profit. Uh, it, it rolled back the prohibitions on the size of banks, the banks under $10 billion, um, and limited sort of their uh, ability in terms of how much of their deposits they, those banks could use for those purposes. Um, I think that's an area where there was a lot of uh, focus and attention, and it remains to be seen how much will actually have any impact. Um, you know, I think in general it's sort of it's an interesting time in Washington with the, the hyper-partisanship really trickling down to sort of these mundane issues where, uh, you know, this isn't across the board, but you have sort of the, the far left effectively, uh, you know, saying sort of like a NIMBY attitude of, you know, in development, they talk about NIMBY, it's not in my backyard. Um, I think the far left basically is that sort of like no changes at any time, any place, anywhere. And then the, the far right is sort of like, let's just, you know, whatever, whatever industry wants, they should, they, they know it, they know it better than us. We should make the changes to make them, uh, to accommodate them in, in most instances. And so it's, it's hard to find, I think, the pragmatic middle ground. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, in the election, um, you know, despite the, the headlines of the, of the victories, uh, you know, in New York with, um, uh, with Joe Crowley losing and then in Boston, just south of your listeners with, with Michael Capuano losing, like the general Democrats who are going to be coming to Washington in uh, November or in January, I guess, technically, you know, most of these are probably going to be more moderate uh, Democrats, sort of more pragmatic people. People are wondering whether or not this election's about anything in particular anyway, or really, I mean, people are saying or feeling like, well, if the economy's okay, is this about character, integrity, tone, um, and uh, direction uh, from the White House? And it's it remains to be seen exactly what issue is going to drive um, uh, voters and whether or not there's any chance coming up that a new tone of civility, statesmanship, um, bipartisan practical solutions can take effect in what has been a kind of toxic environment. Jason, thanks for joining us. We've been talking to Jason Rosenstock of Thorn Run Partners here on Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the Internet, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. Jason, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Paul. Take care. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hoods on WKXL AM and FM Street, live at nhtalkradio.com. Well, what a week it's been. We had Lindsey Graham visit us. Well, not really, but a false Lindsey Graham come and visit us about the Brett Kavanaugh charade. And we talked with great folks from the New Hampshire Film Festival and filmmaker Freddie Catalfo. Don't miss the New Hampshire Film Festival coming up. Starting October 11th in Portsmouth, this is Off the Record with Paul Hodes, WKXLAM and FM. Thanks to our great sponsor, the Birches at Concord. Thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM.